Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. <laughs> I'm queen. I make milk and I make out. Like I make milk. And you can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've seen me on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Demona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another hot episode of Dates and Mates. Disclaimer, I said hot episode because this is going to be another spicy one. And we marked it explicit for a reason. So just heed our warning. You'll hear in a moment. We all know that old first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in the baby carriage narrative. It gets shoved down our throats from the time we are little. As a parent, I know I hear it all the time, but you know... Life doesn't always work out that way. And that's the beauty of it all. Life's unpredictable. And we can redefine these relationship timelines, these roles, these expectations to suit our own needs. And that is why I have Erica and Mila, the hosts of the Good Moms, Bad Choices podcast here to talk about their experiences of navigating dating as single parents. But first and foremost... You know I like to dish. And our headline today is, are you really being sexually rejected or is it all in your head? Then later in Dear Demona, I'll tackle the burning question. My matches seem to expect quicker response times. Is this a me or a them problem? (laughs) All right, lovers. Put those uh, headphones on if you got anyone listening next to you because it's going to get hot when we start the dish. These dating dish... Mel Magazine came out with an article this week that said couples see rejection that isn't there. There was a new study published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior that shows that in established relationships, a lot of people are taking sexual rejection way harder than they should when their partners are just like not in the mood. There have been past studies on rejection that have focused primarily on rejection from prospective partners rather than existing ones. But this is one of the first studies to actually look at people who are in relationships right now. They took 200 heterosexual couples who had been together for at least two years, and they did this little experiment. Don't y'all love science? They did this experiment where they had couples keep individual diaries for 28 days about the degree of their sexual interest or disinterest. And then they rated their overall relationship satisfaction. Then they did another part of the study where they had couples who were cohabitating maintain diaries for 28 days about their experiences with sexual rejection. And when they felt rejected, participants were asked to describe what happened, including the degree to which they felt rejected. So not a huge surprise. Men were found to be better at detecting rejection, whereas women were better at recognizing when they weren't being rejected. I'm like, how do you not realize it when you're not being rejected? I don't know. This is very interesting. I would love to peer into these diaries. Like, in a way, this is kind of what I do. I get to peer into the diaries. But I really, I'm so fascinated by the way that we interpret other people's actions and inputs. And we automatically sort of internalize it and take it to mean something that has significance in our lives, something that maybe we we thought was true or maybe was told to us when we were younger. And then we look at these experiences as evidence, as evidence that confirms the belief that we originally had. And 
when we look at the negative outcomes for doing this, it's very detrimental to relationships because the skewed perception of rejection really negatively affected long-term relationships across the board because you get shut down and then you you internalize, like I was just saying, and then you just stop trying. And that's not good for intimacy in any romantic relationship. And there's no normal amount of intimacy or sex that you should be having with your partner. But certainly if it's not there or if you're feeling rejected all the time, something is going on, whether it's you not expressing your needs clearly to them or whether that person, maybe they have low libido or maybe they're depressed or exhausted or there's something else going on with them that needs to be illuminated. But if you're not relating to your intimate partner in an intimate way, there's something underneath that that needs to be examined. I'm really curious to also look at the way that perceived rejection impacts people who are still dating. And this is something that I think keeps a lot of a lot of people from pursuing what they ultimately want in a relationship is this feeling that if I say it or if I ask for it and that person's not aligned with me, if they say no, that is a rejection. I have been, I have been rejected. And I would love to just reframe our thinking about that. You may know the saying, rejection is your protection. But when we're talking about sexual rejection, God, it just brings up this whole other layer of shame, of fear. I know many of us were not talked to about sex. And this is something that we feel like we should just know how to navigate. And yet, most people were not really taught about sex, about how to express our sexual desires, about how to how to even handle rejection and reframe it and refocus it so that we can be okay and not look at it as a rejection of us, but look at it as a rejection of in that moment, that person is, is not wanting the same thing that I want. So I'm really interested in this study and how it looked at it over time because we tend to seek out like experiences or look at like experiences as evidence of our original hypothesis when really they may be just disparate experiences and we're not looking for the counterpoint. You're not, if you have this belief in your mind that your partner's rejecting you or that you're always rejected by women when you approach them and that is the narrative that you are looking to confirm in your mind, you are going to continue to see experiences that may not mean you're being rejected as confirmation. That's our confirmation bias. We're not looking for the times when you're not rejected by your partner, when that person does say yes, or the person that you didn't necessarily want to approach you, approaches you. That is still a not rejection, but we don't even count that on the scoreboard because we're so busy telling ourselves the narrative of, I have been rejected not necessarily of the fault of our own, but because that is how we've been conditioned and we haven't been given the tools to handle the rejection. So a fascinating read in this article. And really the the crux of it is to look at those moments of rejection and the feelings that come up with them and see them as a breakdown in communication, not rejection, a breakdown in communication. And then what happens when you have a breakdown in communication? You have an opportunity then to 
look at it from a new perspective, to find new tools, to find new language, to find another way to connect. Well, if you are ready to put yourself out there and reframe your thoughts of rejection, I can help you redesign your dating profile with my free profile starter kit. It will get you online easily and onto your dating success story. And again, it's free right now for a limited time. This season, it is free at datesandmates.com. And it will also get you on my weekly newsletter where you can find out about new opportunities for us to work together, for us to get together, for us to figure out how you can live your best love life. And also, you'll get the digest of all of the latest episodes so you don't miss one moment, one beat of Dates and Mates. Again, you can check that out at datesandmates.com. When we come back, we will be talking to Good Moms, Bad Choices, Erica and Mila. They are going to be talking about navigating dating as single parents. But there is something, even if you're not a parent, there's something everyone can learn from these two fantastic ladies. So stay with us. Erica and Mila are the host of the Good Moms, Bad Choices podcast. They are uncensored, outspoken, and they are redefining what modern motherhood looks like. They are currently in the process of writing their book, A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices, and they recently launched the Good Vibe Retreat, a six-day retreat in Costa Rica, which allows women to tap into their feminine energy and learn to manifest life's greatest visions. I am a huge fan of their podcast, and I know you will become a huge fan of theirs, too. Please help me give big smooches to Erica and Mila. Hi. back. I love that. <laughs> all right. All moms in the room here. We just had Mother's Day. How you doing, girls? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah. We're, you know, we didn't kill our kids. They're still alive. And, uh... Sometimes we get celebrated, sometimes we don't, but that, such is motherhood. Well, yeah. <laughs> I relate. And how old are your kids? Yeah, I have two, eight and 11. Okay, yeah. And your girls are a little bit younger, right? They're both seven. Both seven. Okay, yeah. Yeah, just wait. It gets real fun. <laughs> it gets real I fun. had a sassy, a very sassy seven year old incident last night. And I was like, is this what I'm fucking merging? Is this like the, the, what do they call it? Like the teenagers or whatever. But like she told, she was like screaming and yelling at me. And I was like, I'm not prepared for this shit. Is this already happening? So yeah, I'm just, just wait. I was wondering what eight is like. Maybe wait, I have an 11 year old girl. So <laughs> just wait, <laughs> but it's fun. But you know, I will say having my kids get older and actually know what sex is has had a tremendous impact on my sex life <laughs> with my husband because he's like terrified that like the kids are going to walk in or like my daughter's going to hear me or something. And I know you talk a lot about <laughs> sex on Good Moms, Bad Choices. I'm curious, maybe you can advise me <laughs> about how you navigate through that and like talking to your kids about sex when, you know, mom's going to do what mom's going to do, right? We're in the stages of talking about body parts, consent. I mean, this has been an ongoing conversation for years at this point. She does know that, you know, a, mo a woman and a man have sex to have a baby. But as far as like her experiencing me, like hearing me or knowing, I mean, I'm assuming she knows I fuck. But <laughs> she's, not, she's not thinking in those but terms. But she's not thinking in that way yet. And Yeah, I, she's a little younger than mine. 
<laughs> Mine knows things. Yeah, yeah. So that's not something I've had to, that's not a, that's not something I've had to encounter yet, but I'm, you know, I'm excited for that. Like I, I don't shy away from it because I think when I was growing up, like it was something that was really not talked about much. Only when like certain things happened, like my period started or, and then I was told I could have babies and I was like, well, I'm 11. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And so like, for me, it's just an ongoing conversation. So hopefully by the time I get to that, it's not super awkward and uncomfortable and I don't feel really unprepared and don't know how, how to like, you know, have the language to talk to her about it. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Mila? I'm I'm curious, Demona, is is your daughter like calling you out? Like, are you guys in yeah. there having sex? Is she yeah. like is she Yes. Oh. Yeah. And then I flipped it on her because she she'll always like burst into our room. I have a rule at 8 30, the door gets closed and the kids do not come in. And usually we're just watching Netflix or whatever, but I might want to Netflix and chill. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a married lady. And she always will like knock on the door. It starts at 8.30 and then at like 8.45 and at nine o'clock. So she knocked on the door at nine o'clock last night and I was like, we're having sex. <laughs> she was like, oh no, <laughs> which we were not. But I was <laughs> no, like, no. I'm just trying to keep you out of the room because we might one day be having sex. And then, but like my husband is just like so, so shy and nervous about it. He's like, I have to wait until like they're completely asleep. And I, I kind of feel like I'm at this place where she knows what it is. She knows that parents do it. So I, I, I mean, I don't want her in the room. You know what? It, you know what? I just, I just had this thought, like thinking about that, like it's true. Like, would you rather your daughter's first um, experience with even hearing sex be like a stranger or would it be your own parents because they created you? Not like you're doing it on purpose, but like if it happened, is it actually like, I don't know, better? No, I think it's going to scar them for fucking life. You do? I don't think, I think like, let's just be quiet. Like I, I think doing? talking about it with your mom or your parents is like, mm -hmm. I think it makes it less weird when it does happen. But I'm thinking like, Hearing people have sex really bothers me sometimes. Like I've had like my friends have sex in the other room and it bothers me. And I'm like, is it because maybe I heard my parents have sex at a young age or some shit? But I'm like, what is wrong with you that you're so triggered? Like you're a sex positive lady. I was at my girlfriend's house and she's raising like she has three daughters who are like 15 and 16. And she took in her uh, cousin who's 17 and she's a cool mom. She's like one of my best friends. She was like the first mom I saw navigate single motherhood in like a really badass way. And she had uh, one of the daughters had a boy over when I stayed there in Atlanta. And I was like, so how are you dealing with this? Like, what is because they have a huge house. It's on like another wing of the house. She's like, you know, I know they're going to explore. And she lets him come over. And I am I was all on it. Like, is he still in there? Did his mom pick him up? Mm -hmm. Did you meet his mom? She's like, I met her one time. She'll wave. So she's, she's really chill about it. And it's, it's nice to see other moms navigate navigate the space before I get there so like I can buffet what I'm going to do and how it's going to be but everybody has sex well, what were the <laughs> conversations around sex like in your homes growing mm -hmm. up non-existent no. non-existent do you feel like that's part of part of your mission now in starting good moms bad choices like do you think that's in some way informed by the fact that you didn't have those conversations when you were younger? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I, I realized how they didn't serve me at all, really. And like, really, I was I was unprepared and I was curious, too. And so I was asking teenagers and like 12 year olds about sex. And that's like 
really whose parents also weren't talking about sex. So we were all learning from like TV and Each hearsay other. and you know experience or the girl who was like you know started hooking up with guys earlier she was like so then what so you know like we're learning from from kids basically and i just know that like i wish that i would have known a lot more things there's certain things like i don't really want to talk i'm cool that it didn't happen like I i didn't need to talk about everything with my parents about sex but there needed to be more conversation around it so that i could just really understand consent too mm. and like really have autonomy over my body and realize that like my pleasure is the top priority, you know, and it's not about boys and it's not about, you know, it's just sex is just such a male centric experience for a little girl when she's learning about it. And it's really not about her at all. And so I definitely think that it's part of, you know, you know, what we and Jamila advocate for but also, like, you have to do what's good for you. Like, what's good for me isn't good for you. You know, feels really uncomfortable for you. Or you also have to know who your child is. Different kids have different needs. But I think honesty through and through is always, like, the best policy. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get to that place, I think, to to know what that line is between what's honesty and what's too much information. But I really wonder, because I, I haven't had the experience of dating as a single mom. For me, when I became a mom, I felt in many ways, not necessarily by my husband, but just by the world, I felt very desexualized. Like, you know, it's like your body is in service to this other human. And it took me a long time to feel comfortable in my body again, once I had kids probably something I still struggle with a little bit now because it's not the same body <laughs> that I that I left before. So I'm curious how you came to terms with that dating as a single mom like and finding your sexuality again or is it something that in your experience never left you? I think for sure we can all as mothers identify and relate to like that strange aftermath of giving birth and feeling like so foreign in your skin. And yeah, being of service to everyone else and being expected to do that and like just being, yeah, like a machine and not a human being. And not only that, like in addition to that, like society also kind of desexualizes you in ways because now you're a mother, you know, and now you're supposed to show up a certain way and you better not be dancing on the table or, you know, being a certain way because now you're somebody's mother. So I think like subconsciously as women, not only are our bodies like as to service other people, like the, the community in which we exist in also kind of feeds us that same message. And I was also in a relationship that I realized wasn't the relationship for me, which is, you know, also very, I don't know, makes you feel alienated. And I was going through an experience alone that none of my friends had experienced yet. It took me a long time to come to terms with. And it, in fact, it took me just to completely get uncomfortable, like not get comfortable with that being the the case, you know? And so like, I think I, I, I deliberately really tried hard to get out of that space by going out, you know, by being sexy, by like putting on makeup when I didn't feel like it. Like that was a big step for me. And and even bigger was leaving that relationship that also didn't make me really feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just a conscious decision that whatever doesn't feel good to me, I'm going to act on it, even if it feels uncomfortable. So after I got out of the relationship and I pushed past that and I put on makeup and shit like that, I went out a little bit. I think I made 
I had sex with someone for the first time. It was super casual, but I was like, oh shit, I'm still the shit, you know, like I still got it, yes. you know, and I, like, I know it sounds cliche, like go have a, not a random hookup, but there are just these like decisions that I had to make. And in fact, I, I had to sit in what felt good to me and not what everybody was telling me I was supposed to feel. So it was just like a, a series of conscious decisions to get back in my body. Mm. You mentioned leaving your prior relationship, and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, they're in that place of redefining what they want in a relationship after a breakup. And especially, I think, you know, you both have have kids with your former partners, too, where it's not like you can totally be cut off from them. You still have to at least communicate around the kids. But how did you even begin to navigate ending that relationship in a way that you could be free to go into new relationships without feeling like that relationship was still with you? When you have a child with someone, you are connected to them. It's it's this weird, unconditional attachment you have until it's, I don't know, until, there is a severing that has to happen, you know? I think there's, I think dating helps. I think hopefully forgiveness, hopefully you have someone who you can, you know, have closure with in that way. But I think it's different for everyone. I mean, for me, like Jamila said, honestly, like we talk about this on our show, like the way we met and also how even I, I had a similar situation and like how I got, it was like how Stella got her groove back. I was feeling so unsexy. I gained a bunch of weight. Like I just didn't feel like myself. I looked in the mirror and I was like, who the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to be something different. I don't know what, I mean, society fed me that, but I thought it was genuinely like my own feelings, like this new identity that I had. So when my relationship ended, I joined Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I started dating and I went on, I remember the first date I went on and he was kind of a nerd and I was kind of a nerd, you know, I was just like, I was so like, I'd never, I hadn't dating in seven years. I was like, how the fuck do you do this? Like, I don't. Erica, I want to pause because you, you laughed when you said I joined Tinder. Mm -hmm. What was underneath that? Because I was really weirded out by dating apps at that point because I'd been in a relationship for a while, like the era of dating apps was that of like, um, what is it? Like, uh, what's, the, what, what's the website? Like the one, the old school dating white website? Match.com? I don't, Match.com. Okay. <laughs> Match.com. That's what it is. <laughs> I should know that. Wow. AOL personals. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I felt weird about like, I think what everyone kind of does when they first join a dating app is like, oh my God, who's going to see me on here? Like, it's, does this make me look desperate? Oh my God, this feels so weird. Like we should just meet people in person, you know? And I was, I, I had, my friends were like, those days are over, girl. Get your ass on the dating app. And then it was kind of fun. I was like, huh, this is so cool. Like I can really have access to so many different types of people quickly. For me as someone who had just come out of a relationship, I needed that. And I needed to go on a date with someone that was going to validate me, period. That's what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I got that. And then from there, it kept getting, I was like, okay, I got it. Okay, this is appealing. Oh, you're interesting. Okay, I get to meet this new person. And so slowly you start kind of exploring yourself and your new needs and your new wants and and stop, stop, stop suppressing the things that you always kind of knew you wanted. And for me, one of those things happened to be I wanted to explore with a couple. And I had never like been able to do that because I had been in a relationship for so long. So, you know, dating apps – 
I think that they are really a, a useful tool and dating is a really big step in finding yourself and what your needs are for sure. I think you can't, you can like, listen, everyone says be alone, right? And like sit with yourself and you do, you should do that too. But I think you should also take time for yourself yourself when you're ready and explore. There's a stigma about being a single mom. Like you're going to be dating with baggage. No one's going to want me anymore. Like that's also like what we get fed. So I think a part of like remembering that you're still like worthy and people still want you was a big thing for me too. And like, even at the time I went on this date, I was like making out with him. It was hot. He was so hot. Like I couldn't believe he wanted to like hang out with me. And I was still breastfeeding. I breastfed for like three years. And so I remember him went to go like suck my nipple. And I was like, fuck, he's going to get milk. Like I have to tell him. And I was like so embarrassed. And I was like, are you going to get milk? And then he was like even more into it. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I'm fucking goddess queen. I make milk and I make out. Like I make milk and I make out. <laughs> like for real. Like it do, it did it not be the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is really empowering in a way. I just wanted to go back to something you said, Erica, because you kind of glossed over you wanted to be uh with a couple. And it's funny because I was just I work with OK Cupid as their official dating coach, and I was looking at some of the new data from this year. And I just typed that last year, users seeking non-monogamous relationships increased 7%, and mentions of non-monogamy and thruple in user profiles went up 21%. And it's not something we've talked a lot about on the show. We've talked about being in open relationships, but we haven't talked about being single and wanting to be with a couple. So can you just talk a little bit about what that experience was like and how you even began the process of seeking out a couple to explore with? I didn't seek them out, actually. Tinder brought them to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I went on Tinder and I was swiping and I saw this handsome guy and then I swiped and then it was him and a girl. And I was like, oh, that's nice. That's why is she here? And then I swiped and then it was just her. And then I swiped and it was them again. I was like, oh, okay, got it. And then I swiped right. And then I got it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I think that non, I think people are more so realizing that like traditional relationships are a social construct. I mean, no offense to those who have, you know, want monogamous (laughs) relationships because I'm not against monogamy. I actually enjoy monogamous relationships a lot, but there's so many choices, you know, and there's not just one standard way a relationship works for people and people thrive in it. For me, that relationship was really beautiful. Um, It showed me, it actually gave me exactly what I needed at that time, which, you know, for me and my relationship, there was a lot of distrust. There was a lot of poor communication and seeing how they communicated and the trust that they had for one another restored my faith in relationships. And just the fact that I could see them together be so vulnerable and so honest with one another and share with one another like that really was transformational for me especially coming out of a relationship and still choosing to be single you know I was like okay I'm gonna wait until I find something that feels like this so what would you say your relationship goals are right now I guess what I'm manifesting I I don't know why words matter to me right now and like what I'm ready to receive is someone that I can just be my self with, you know, and I can have that really authentic and radical honesty with someone who is nurturing to my daughter who wants to invest time into her and 
wants to enrich her life and take an active role in her life as you know a male person provider um influence and someone i can just have fun with because i'm fucking fun and like i can't do the boring shit like you gotta be fun like period (laughs) but i think i'm open to all those things like previously i mean i've gone through so many phases i've gone through phases where i don't want a relationship i've gone through phases where like i just want to have casual sex i don't have sex at all like i'm good I'm too busy. I'm really, my, my career is taking off. I don't have a lot of time, but now I'm kind of like, I'm ready to balance my work and love space. If it's, if it feels right. Mm. Mila, I want to know your relationship goals. <laughs> Are you manifesting man right now? <laughs> so what I have manifested is um, I'm kind of experiencing a, a, a lover and a friend and a non-monogamous uh, format. And uh, it's actually something I've been wanting to actually um, practice, and but I haven't found so, I never found anyone that was you know willing to do it fair. I think that's kind of hard for women sometimes. So I'm in a, like a relationship that is non-monogamous. We are really good friends. We are really honest with each other, you know. And my lover knows I have a fuck buddy. <laughs> I've realized it's really been difficult because I'm triggered a lot. But I've also realized like I've been triggered a lot in a lot of relationships and I would rather be on the same page as my person and be honest and they receive it and vice versa. And I know it's not like it's over. You know, I, I, it's, it's been difficult to navigate, but overall I feel like it's been really rewarding and I've, I'm learning a lot of lessons about myself through the process, navigating in this really, really honest space with someone I have fun with and I care for and we support each other and we're honest with each other. That's great. I'm I'm so glad to hear like that this is possible and to to show our listeners that you get to really define the rules of the relationship that you want. I also love from the podcast just your your sisterhood and your your friendship is such a a central piece and you've created this whole community of women, you know, you're you're retreating are there still spots in the retreat or are the retreat's locked and loaded? Oh, no, no. There's spots. There's still spots, but you have to hurry up because we are selling out. People are booking. And we just announced two really dope um, women that are going to be leading workshops. One's Her name is Trap Yoga Bay on Instagram, and the other is Sexual Essentials. And we better hurry up. That's all I'm going to say. When is this retreat happening? Um, there are two dates this summer. There's one July 31st, and then there's another one August 10th. So it's some really magical witchy, fun, like divine feminine things happening in the jungle that we've curated. And it's like, it's super powerful. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me, Erica and Mila. Make sure you check out the Good Moms, Bad Choices podcast wherever you like to listen to this show. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram at goodmoms underscore bad choices and Erica at watch Erica and Mila at Mila, M-I-L-A-H underscore map, M-A-P-P. The links will also be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. Sometimes it takes me over a day to respond to my matches. Am I ruining my chances? Mm. I'll tell you in a sec. You know I love helping you with your dating dilemmas, so let's get into the question of the week. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. This is an email from someone we'll call not a clock watcher. She says, hi, Damona. I'm getting back into the dating saddle again. I'm finding that guys I'm matching with on OkCupid are looking for immediate responses to communication, both on the app 
and after exchanging contact information. I'm not always on my phone, so sometimes I won't respond for a day. Therefore, I'm losing the opportunity to even meet these people IRL. Should I be making an effort to respond faster, or is this a their issue? Sincerely, not a clock watcher. Well, not a clock watcher. You should not be watching the clock, certainly. I love that you signed your your email in that way. I would say, though, that you are picking up on something that I have talked on the show about many times, that the speed of dating is increasing. And what I will say is that if you need more options, you need to make more connections more quickly. Like, let's just say you made a dating vision board and you're like, I'm manifesting this relationship now. You really need to pay attention to the time that elapses between when someone sends you a message or when someone matches with you and when you respond. Because that can, the speed actually can increase your chances because sometimes it's the momentum that you build up through the text messages and through like that banter that you feel when you've connected with someone and you get that immediate response. Like you get that adrenaline rush as soon as you've connected. And if there's a quick reply, the adrenaline rush can build. But if you let the feelings dissipate, if you let those hormones deplete, they have to be built up again. And I'm not at all saying that you should watch the clock and that you have to be like on your phone all the time. But I will say it does lead to quicker dates with more energy. Now, I will remind everyone of my seven-day rule. One week from the time that you match online to the next phase, be it a phone call, a video chat date, or an in-person date. Because we lose the energy. If it's taking too long, we start to get into the texting trap and we're going back and forth and we're sending all these cute little messages and we're building up anticipation and then that person that you wanted to be there doesn't really exist. So... Keep that, like, we're not watching the clock, but we are kind of watching the calendar. <laughs> so we don't want to go too long in these connections in limbo. Now, the other side of this is you have to use the app in a way that works for your lifestyle. Now, if you just constantly forget to message back matches, you're wasting the energy of the algorithm working for you. So you might want to set a timer or have a set time that you always check in with your messages. Like, oh, I always go on at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or right before I go to bed. Then again, we want to turn off our screen 60 minutes before we go to bed so we don't have the blue light problem and we can sleep well because sleep's really important. But uh, you can go to sleep whenever you want. Not a clock watcher. It's totally up to you. But just set a time that you're going to check it. I'm not a huge fan of having notifications on. And it sounds like you're not either. Notifications on your dating apps, it's keeping you in that constant adrenaline drip. And it's really actually, I think, very detrimental to our systems to constantly be like, ooh, another person likes me. Ooh, ooh. It really can be mentally draining to have that constant stimulation. So I think it's good to only check like once a day, maybe twice a day. The next part of this is, are these guys getting mad that you're not responding? Or is it just that the energy is gone and they're not responding anymore? Because then it's just like, okay, thank you, next. That just showed you that that connection didn't have the legs. It didn't have the passion behind it to keep it going if like they can't wait 24 hours for a response. Okay. But 
if they're getting mad at you, because I'll see this too, like, oh, like, you're so stuck up, you didn't even respond, or they'll start to get anxious, like all of their anxieties come out, and then they start messaging you and double texting you and double and triple messaging you and, like, checking your location and how far are you away and <laughs> where are you on social media. Woo! Then that also tells you something. But I'm going to give you one really clear point of advice beyond all of the advice that I've already given you. But when you exchange contact information, not a clock watcher, make sure you give them a window. This is not an open-ended, call me anytime. This is like, they're not your boss. They're not your kid. Like, <laughs> you, you are, there's a code of conduct. And they need to know how to operate within it or show you that they are not able to do so. So when you give them your contact information, it is with purpose. It is, I will be home tomorrow night after eight. How about you give me a call then? Or why don't we do a video chat this date? We're not just exchanging contact information and we're definitely not exchanging like our real numbers, right? Not a clock watcher. Like you're definitely using a Google voice or a text now or somehow masking your number. Even a WhatsApp, you know, I have complicated feelings about WhatsApp because of, you know, scammers. But we're giving them a window. We're giving them an expectation that we get to invite them to show up for, not a demand. And you get to see how they show up for you. And so if you know, well, I said I was going to be home after eight o'clock tomorrow night and they didn't call, that person doesn't respect your time. It, now it's one thing if they're like, oh, I don't know if I'll be home. But if they've said, yeah, I'll give you a call, that's an agreement. That's an agreement that you made. And they have to show up for that. And when it's open-ended, he can find a million reasons not to reach out because he doesn't want to get rejected by you. Think of it from that perspective. He doesn't want to get rejected by you. So he's going to put this off. He's going to procrastinate. He's going to try to find the right time, the right perfect moment, the perfect words. And if you have already given him the window in which the perfect words need to emerge, then it actually takes a little bit of pressure off of the connection for him as well and makes it a lot. There's fewer decisions he has to make. Well, I've got to call her between 8 and 10 if I want to have a shot. So try that out. See if just putting a little bit more guardrails around the, the communication helps you. And as far as the back and forth within the app, See if you can like set two times to check in with the app during the day. We want to capitalize on that momentum. We want to capitalize on the app also seeing you as an active user that then boosts you in the algorithm. You're an active user. You respond quickly. You are having conversations that go on for a long time. And therefore, you're making good connections. You're a good user in the app. I'm not speaking like from an OkCupid okay perspective right now. I'm just speaking generally from app algorithm. Like any technology algorithm, you are rewarded for using the tool. So take advantage of that. And that's free. Like people are always asking me, should I pay for a boost? Should I pay to, you know, super like this person and be the first person in the inbox? Just use the tools. Just use the tools in the app. And that will get you a long way. Try those two things. Don't watch the clock, but just be mindful of it. And let me know how it goes. I hope you enjoyed episode 412 of Dates and Mates. If you love this show, why not tell somebody? Tell somebody. Look, Eric and Mila, they're podcast friends. 
you can have podcast friends too and say like, hey, I found this fantastic show, Dates and Mates. It can help us both level up in our love life. You can share this episode with a friend and that is the number one way that we help find more listeners, heal more hearts, help more people, which is ultimately my mission and the reason that I do this show for you. Speaking of doing this show for you, I want to hear from you. I love getting questions like clock watchers. You can also send me a voice memo on Instagram at Damona Hoffman. You can leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255. You can also just leave me feedback for the show. I take your suggestions very seriously. I'm here to help you. I do this show, Dates and Mates, to serve you. We will be back next Tuesday with Love Coach and the host of the Love Drive podcast, Sean Galanos. We'll be talking about intimacy in all its forms. Can't wait for that episode. Until then, I wish you happy dating.